This is Laura Diodo with the Becker's Cardiology and Heart Surgery Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Sumit Mukherjee, who's Chief of Cardiovascular and Ambulatory Medicine at Lawrence General Hospital in Lawrence, Massachusetts. Dr. Mukherjee, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Laura, thank you for having me. Now, I know we've got a lot to talk about, but before we dive into our conversation, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Certainly. Uh, I'm an interventional cardiology cardiologist by training. I actually grew up in the area that I practice in, uh, North Shore of Massachusetts. I am, as you mentioned, the Chief of Cardiovascular and Inventory Medicine, which basically means that I'm in charge of the cardiology services on the inpatient side at Lawrence General Hospital. Uh, and I'm also in charge of the outpatient practice arm of the hospital. And that basically means that all of the doctors who work on the outpatient side also report up to me. So I get to do a little bit of uh, inpatient medicine. I'm still the director of the cath lab at the hospital. I see patients on a regular basis. But then I'm also working in the outpatient side, seeing patients in the outpatient setting, in my office practice. And that allows me to be available to the other doctors who report up to me who know that I'm basically doing exactly what they're doing in the trenches. Got it. That's really fascinating. And how do you balance that, the um, kind of leadership and administrative role that you have with the department, as well as, you know, the practice that you still have and maintain at the hospital? I basically cloned myself. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Kidding aside, uh, it really focuses on a, a lot of organization and just being available. Like most of us, in healthcare now, there's, it's really difficult to find a time where you can turn off your cell phone or in some of the uh, older providers turn off the beeper. You have to be available. And it's a matter of being able to take some time and listen to issues that a doctor may have, whether it's in their personal life, whether it has to do with the practice of medicine, things that they're looking for. Are about time for those individuals, but also keeping in mind that there are patients at the hospital who have to be seen. And because I'm the director of the cath lab and still doing interventional procedures that requires being on call, I have to be available for patients and the inpatient physicians as well. Ultimately, it boils down to really just a lot of organization and making sure that people do understand that at times I'm available for them, but then at other times other things may take priority if it's a patient coming in with an acute MI, well, that's going to take precedence over something else that's happening in the outpatient setting. It doesn't mean I forget about the outpatient issue. It just means at that particular time, I'm not able to address. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And really having those priorities straight in, in the expectations of the team, um, you know, managed in that way, I, I think it sounds like it's been working really well for you. A lot of fun. I have, uh, I have great people that I, I report to. I have a wonderful, as you mentioned, there's there's no I in team. So if I didn't have my whole outpatient team working with me as well as my inpatient team, none of this would be possible. So I'm very blessed and lucky to have them on board with me. Absolutely. Now, what are some of the biggest issues that you're following in healthcare today? Number one, it's not just for Lawrence General Hospital, but it's for health, every healthcare organization out there. It really has to do with funding budgetary constraints, particularly in the wake of COVID. It's particularly an acute issue for Lawrence General Hospital because Lawrence General Hospital is a safety net hospital. The mission of the hospital and 
because of legal obligation, we are required to provide care to any patient, regardless of their insurance status and regardless of whether or not they have the ability to pay. We're, our hospital is located in Lawrence, Massachusetts, which has had one of the highest rates of COVID in the state of Massachusetts. And as a result, that's created a huge drain on the resources of the hospital. While we're still spending money to take care of patients, a lot of the money has not been coming in in a timely manner from either the federal government or from the state. So we've been having to do the best that we can without that kind of funding happening. But, but a very close relation to that is, is also faced by a lot of other organizations, and that's being able to hold on to a skilled workforce. Like many, many different companies in this country, finding good workers is difficult, but it's equally difficult to be able to keep those individuals on board. And that's been particularly difficult in, in light of the pandemic as well. We're a safety net hospital. We don't have a lot in the way of resources and money. We still do a, we still do a great job taking care of patients, but then it also becomes an issue when we're trying to incorporate new technologies into the management patients, whether on the highest level you're looking at something like artificial intelligence, and whether on the lowest level it's just a matter of being, implement, being able to implement a new EMR system. It's a little bit more difficult for a hospital like Lawrence General than it may be for some other organizations. And then the, really the, the final major issue, and maybe you can even put this up at the top of the list, is improving our overall patient experience. Not only because we want people to want to come to our hospital, also because this is something that the hospital and almost all of us are being judged by in terms of compensation by different payers. They're going to look to reward those hospitals and those healthcare systems that are getting the highest patient experience scores. So I would say those are just a few of the things that we're looking at that I'm looking at specifically on my side. Absolutely. That's, you know, really interesting to think about. And especially, as you mentioned, um, you know, some of the budgetary constraints and the funding um, not coming through, you know, as it should and having to operate anyway, and then dovetailing that into the, you know, patient experience side of it. I can imagine, you know, trying to um, create the same kind of experience as other hospitals that aren't necessarily safety net hospitals or of other you know, revenue streams can be particularly challenging. So when you as a clinician and a leader think about what's possible and what you can do um, for patients, you know, what really sticks out as being areas that are, um, you know, could be easy to improve or I suppose easy probably isn't even the right word because none of it's really that easy, but where are you really focusing on first? I would say that our biggest issue is trying to improve the patient experience. That's something that we can actually control. And whether it means improving the experience the patient has from the moment they come into our emergency department to the moment they come up to the floor, the treatment they get there, the care they get there, we found looking at our scores that a large gap falls into the, into the space of communication. So communication to the patients from nursing staff, communication from the providers. That's something that we can focus on and that's something that we can fix and it has a lot of downstream positive implications if we fix it appropriately. So of that list that I was discussing with you, that's the thing that we're focusing on immediately. We have our hospital leadership team 
working closely with the state legislature, uh, working with the federal government in terms of trying to not necessarily increase the funding, but actually get the funding. So there are people who are working on that aspect of things also. Now that we seem to be entering a better phase of the pandemic, people are thinking maybe it's the endemic, whatever you want to call it, we found that of late it's been a little bit easier to find a workforce and to hold on to these workforce people. And, and the way that we're doing that is by also improving their experience. So not just the experience of the patients, but also of our employees. And I'm talking about even at the level of finding good leaders within our staff. As you've mentioned, it's important to have good clinicians, but if you can have clinicians who are also good leaders, that just puts your hospital way ahead of everybody else. So those are some of the simple things that we can fix internally that we're trying to do. Uh, and hopefully, and I think on the, when we come out on the other end, we're gonna find that we're in a better situation, better place. And that's really great to hear. Now. Thinking about cardiology in particular, how do you see cardiology and heart surgery changing in the near future? Great question. I mean, it's, it's like everything else that's happening now. We're looking at things in a multidisciplinary approach. So in fact, with the latest guidelines that just were published in December of 2020 and 2021 related to the management of patients undergoing coronary interventions, the discussion is focusing around the fact that when I do a catheterization on a patient and they have multivessel disease that requires some form of treatment, whether it's bypass surgery or the use of stents or whether it's use of medications, rather than that decision being made in a vacuum by me as the operator performing the procedure, now it's a matter of discussing this with the cardiac surgery team, getting their feedback as well. But on, in addition to that, it's also including the patient and the patient's family in the decision-making process. There will be patients who have significant disease that my feeling is the person needs a bypass operation, and I base it on these factors and my experience, and this is what I'm thinking. But still, it will be up to the patient to agree to that. And there are patients who say, I know what you're saying, doctor. I understand it, but I do not want open-heart surgery. I prefer to have stents done. So if you can't do it safely here, then send me somewhere where I can get it done. And it's my obligation now to make sure that I do what I think is best, but I do that with the feedback of the patient. And this is something new from the prior iteration of these guidelines, including the patient. We also have to look at the fact that before the pandemic, it was really difficult to do anything in terms of telehealth or virtual visits with patients. And since the pandemic has happened, the time frame that may have taken place with this type of technology occurring five, 10 years from now has been moved up rapidly. Patients are finding, particularly patients who are in rural places and have a difficult time getting to the provider's office, or elderly patients who have a hard time getting out of the house. They realize that in many situations, virtual visit is the equivalent of an in-office visit, and certainly it's better than not having any visit whatsoever. We're getting comfortable with that, and patients are getting comfortable with that. Patients are also understanding that there are ways that they can monitor themselves and take care of themselves at home, and whether that's with the use of data that they get from wearable devices, such as the 
Fitbit or an Apple Watch and then reporting that information back to providers, or whether it's just by the fact that they're able to communicate with the providers via telephone, via a virtual visit, and are taking responsibility for themselves, this is something that we have not seen before in medicine, where the patient has become the focus, but they've also become the focus because they're taking charge of their own lives, and they're actually taking charge of some of the technology that's going to be providing information to the provider taking care of them. And really on a, on a surgical front, in addition to what we just discussed with the multidisciplinary heart team approach, more and more surgery is being done through minimally invasive procedures. They call it MIX, minimally invasive cardiac surgery. Or things are being done now via a robotic approach, which also has the benefit of a smaller incision. What these kinds of operations allow one to do is leads to a quicker recovery time for the patient. So once again, we're looking at the patient. The patient recovers quicker. They get out of the hospital sooner. With a smaller incision, they're able to rehab a lot faster from their procedure. Because they're in the hospital for a shorter period of time, the hospital benefits, the payers benefit. It's a win-win situation all the way around. Those are some of the things I'm looking at from a cardiac and cardiac surgery perspective. Absolutely. And, you know, that's fascinating to hear, and especially with a few of the, the, the first few points that you mentioned about patients really playing a more active role in their care and care decision making, whether it's from the, you know, beginning monitoring more from home and doing more things um, for preventative care, potentially more virtual care. And then also, you know, when the decision time comes to actually act on a treatment, um, you know, having to take their um, opinions and decision-making process into account um, versus how it's been in the past is just really interesting to hear about. Yes, it's it's more of a, it used to be a top-down approach, and the top was the, was the physician or provider, and the bottom was the patient, and it was, yes, doctor, yes, doctor. No, it's not like that anymore. I won't even call it bottom-up. I think it's just middle-middle is what it is now. It's the, Absolutely. The providers at the top and the patients who were originally at the bottom, people, we both, both groups meet in the middle and come up with a decision that's not only best for the patient, but it's also what the patient feels is best for them. Got it. And that makes a lot of sense. And now before we wrap up our conversation, I have one more question for you. What are you most excited about for the future? <laughs> a lot of stuff. Uh, the way I... I I think partnerships are huge. They're really, really important at every at any level. Whether it's um, a personal relationship, it's whether it's with your team at the hospital, uh, but it's also important between organizations. The, the more that groups can find that they they can collaborate, you come out on the other side as a much, much stronger entity, and your patients benefit from that. And an example that I have for you is that in our specific area, Lawrence General Hospital had a, a rival hospital literally two miles down the road, um, community hospital, part of the steward network. And for 50 years, both hospitals have been in competition. Uh, but just this past uh, two months ago, both hospitals signed a clinical affiliation to work together, to work together and share services that one institution has and the other doesn't, but also a vision of working together, looking at the future, 
with the goal of keeping patients in our community. I mean, any hospital in the North Shore of Massachusetts has to deal with the shadow of Boston. People from all over the world are coming to Boston hospitals. But at the same time, if patients could have their care locally and not have to travel 20, 30 miles, they would prefer that. And by working and partnering closely with this hospital two miles down the road, we're going to try to offer services to patients to keep them here on the north shore of Boston in the Merrimack Valley. Now, you can't have a partnership if you don't share information. And an important part of all of this is going to be data sharing. And not just data sharing between Little Lawrence General Hospital and Little Holy Family, Stewart Holy Family Hospital, but also just on a wider level, organizational, big organizations, that if you're able to share data, then that allows you to really improve the overall care that patients are getting, which leads to better overall quality. So data sharing is going to be a huge thing that has to happen when we're looking at things in the future. Patient-centric approach. You've heard me mention. You've heard me talk about this over and over again during this discussion. Yeah, that's really important. absolutely. I, I think you know that's just so interesting to hear. And um, and looking at that connectivity and putting patient at the center of healthcare. You know, it, it seems simple, but I'm sure a lot more easily said than done. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I mean, because we have to remember things on the patient experience score include things like the food that they're getting and the noise at night that's keeping them from being able to sleep. And sometimes <laughs> those are hard to control in the hospital. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Mukherjee, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fascinating discussion and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Definitely. Pleasure's in mine and thank you so much for having me.